remain standing, and I will read uh, these four verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. A couple of pages back, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You may be seated. God bless you. Sometimes in my conversations with uh, you, in the course of the conversation, someone will comment, that would make a good subject for a sermon. And occasionally, someone will come in a more intentional way and say specifically, you know, sometime I would like to hear a sermon on a certain subject. And the sermon this morning is a result of one of those requests. And while I do welcome your suggestions and your requests, sometimes they do tend to take me out of my comfort zone. They may take me places where I would not have gone otherwise. And uh, that may be good. When this suggestion was given, my first impression was, yes, I would like to hear a sermon on that myself, because I felt that I had more questions than answers. But uh, I found uh, to be an interesting subject, and I'm happy to share with you some of the things that I've been learning. And the specific request that was given was, how can we rely on the Holy Spirit, and what keeps us from walking in the Spirit? Now, I may not answer those questions directly this morning. Uh, I hope to get there sometime, but it may not happen this morning. This morning, I'd like to give a little bit more of a prelude leading up to that, building a background of first getting to know a little bit more about the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He does, uh, His purpose in our lives before we actually learn how to depend on Him and to follow Him. On somewhat of a different subject... Uh, many of you have heard of the organization called Habitat for Humanity. This is an international organization that goes to many places around the world and builds houses for needy people. They may go in after a natural disaster. They may go into poverty-stricken areas. And uh, their goal is simply to provide places for people to live. Their statement is that they help families build and improve places to call home. And their vision statement is, a world where everyone has a decent place to live. That is the vision of Habitat for Humanity. Now, I'm not going to preach about Habitat for Humanity this morning, but I'm going to borrow the name of their organization and adjust it just a little bit for the title of the sermon this morning, which I am calling Habitat for Divinity. Not Habitat for Humanity, but habitat for divinity. As we look at the Holy Spirit's desire to live within us, when God looks at you, 
He sees a place where he would like to live, as these verses indicated that Dave read here from 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6. And we'll get to that point a little bit later on. The three main points of the message, just to give you a little bit of an overview, is I'd like to look, first of all, at the person of the Holy Spirit, and secondly, at the presence of the Holy Spirit, and thirdly, at the purpose of the Holy Spirit, His purpose in our lives. The person of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. So the first point, the person of the Holy Spirit, or the identity of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? And I would like to clarify, right from the beginning, that the Holy Spirit is God. It is not proper to refer to the Holy Spirit as it. Or as a thing. The Holy Spirit is God. We should refer to him, if we refer to him in the third person, as he, not as it. And several statements I am going to make here in support of that aspect that the Holy Spirit is God as we look at his identity. First of all, simply his identity is inseparable from the identity of God. One example of that, in Acts chapter 5, when... Peter was addressing Ananias after Ananias had his little deceptive move there about the property that he sold, or that big deceptive move, I should say. Peter says to him in verse 3, Ananias, why has Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And then immediately in the next verse, Peter continues on and says, thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. You see, in one phrase he says, you lied unto the Holy Ghost, and he follows that up by saying, you have lied unto God. You see, their identity is one and the same. The identity of the Holy Spirit is inseparable from the identity of God. Many times as you read the scriptures, it talks about God, it talks about the Spirit, it talks about the Spirit of God, and it is clear, it is obvious that they are one and that their identity is not separable. So his identity is inseparable from the identity of God. Secondly, his character character is inseparable from the character of God. And of course that's true due to the fact that he is God. If he is God, of course his character will be inseparable from the character of God. Now the Holy Spirit has specific functions, which we may look at another time, some of the functions and the work that he does. But... His characteristics are one and the same with God. Several examples. He is co-existent with God. Many times throughout the scripture, you see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit mentioned together as one. Jesus, in his commission to the disciples and to us, Matthew chapter 28 Verse 19, go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. We see that he is co-existent with God. And many of the epistles and the greeting that was given, the writers of those epistles greeted people, again, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, when Paul is concluding this letter, again, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. We see how that they exist together. 
So we're looking at the fact that the Holy Spirit's character is inseparable from the character of God. He is coexistent with God. Secondly, he is co-equal with God. I'd like to look at some of God's attributes which also apply to the Holy Spirit. We can look at the presence of the Spirit. We see God's omnipresence through His Spirit. In Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10, some familiar verses. We often think of these about talking about God's presence being everywhere we go. And the verses actually refer as well to the Spirit of God. Psalm 139, verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. So we see that the Holy Spirit is synonymous with the presence of God. He is the presence of God. Secondly, he is the power of God. We see God's omnipotence exemplified in the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, when the angel came to Mary and announced to her that she was going to give birth to the Messiah, Mary, of course, was quite astounded. Her response was, how can this be, seeing that I know not a man? And the angel said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. But you notice how the Holy Spirit and the power of God are unified in this verse, are together. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. So the Holy Spirit is a representation of God's power, the power of God. We see God's omnipotence revealed in the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, we see God's knowledge revealed in the Holy Spirit. We see God's omniscience in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, but God hath revealed them, it's referring to his truths, if you look in the context, read, read the previous verses, God hath revealed his truths unto us, how? By his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You see, the Holy Spirit is synonymous with the knowledge of God. We're looking at the fact that His Spirit, or the, the Holy Spirit's character, is inseparable from the character of God. He is coexistent with God. He is co-equal with God in His uh, presence, His power, and His knowledge. And finally, He is also co-eternal with God. The writer of Hebrews refers to Him as the eternal Spirit. And you can... Uh, Find uh, the presence of the Spirit mentioned in the Bible in the book of Genesis. Before time was measured, before there was day one and day two and day three, the Spirit of God was present, was moving in that situation. 
and he is present in the book of Revelation as well. At the point when earthly time shall be no more, God's presence is there. And the fact that the Spirit is coexistent, co-equal, and co-eternal shows that his character cannot be separated from the character of God. And furthermore, his work is inseparable from the work of God. Again, several examples of this. We see the work of the Spirit in the creation. Now this might somewhat be might be somewhat obscure, especially as we read the creation account. It does not refer to that real specifically, but I believe it's there. It tells us that the Spirit of God was present in Genesis 1-2. Job, in the book of Job, we see several references to the fact that the Spirit was involved in the creation. Job 26.13 says, By his Spirit he hath garnished or beautified the heavens. And in chapter 33, The Spirit of God hath made me. The breath of the Almighty hath given me life. So we see that the work of the Spirit was present at the creation. Furthermore, the work of the Spirit was illustrated or was present in the life of Christ. And I found this fascinating how much of Christ's life was actually dependent on the work of the Spirit. And I'll just give some examples to you, go over them quite uh, quickly here. Luke 1.35 tells us that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I made mention of that earlier. He's conceived by the Holy Ghost. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 4, 1, he was led by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Jesus taught in the power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 9, he was offered as a sacrifice by the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 8, 11, Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Spirit. We're looking at the fact that the Holy Spirit is God and that his character is inseparable from the character of God and that his work is inseparable from the work of God, evidenced in the creation, evidenced in the life of Christ, and evidenced as well in the life of the believer. Who works in the believer? God works in the spirit, in the believer, but it is also God's spirit that works in the believer. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. So the Spirit and God are inseparable in the life of the believer. And uh, verse 14 of the same chapter, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So we were looking, first of all, at the person of the Holy Spirit, who he is. The Holy Spirit is God. Now I'd like to move on to the second part and look at the presence of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to ask a question. Was the Holy Spirit present in the Old Testament? Now, maybe you're thinking, well, you already answered that question. You said he was present at the creation. But why then 
did Jesus say, I will pray the Father and he will send you a comforter? Why did Jesus say, the comforter the Father will send in my name? My question is, was the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, present in the Old Testament? Specifically, was the Holy Spirit present in the lives of God's people in the Old Testament? My response to that is that the Holy Spirit was present, but he was not living within men, within the Old Testament. Try to explain that. At the creation, man was created in the image and in the likeness of God. Now, one aspect of that likeness of man being created in the likeness of God, one aspect of that is the fact that man was created sinless, without sin. We know that God is holy. God is without sin. Man was created without sin. In that way, he was like God. And that likeness allowed for a very special relationship and communication with God because they were alike. They were able to communicate. Like means able to mix. Two substances that are, have similar characteristics are able to mix together. However, when man sinned, an aspect of his likeness with God was lost. God is holy. Man became sinful. He was not holy. He lost the intimacy intimacy that he had with God and he lost a degree of the relationship he had with God and since holiness and sin cannot mix God in the Old Testament did not live within his people to the degree that the Holy Spirit lives within us in the New Testament and an idea that that stood out to me as I was studying this it was somewhat new to me, is that the Holy Spirit of God could not dwell within man until this sin problem was taken care of because holiness and sin cannot mix. So before God could again live within man, the sin problem needed to be resolved. So was the Holy Spirit present in the Old Testament? I would say it was present, but he did not dwell within man. Now, I brought an illustration along this morning that hopefully will help us to maybe grasp this a little bit. And I know those of you in the back may not be able to see real clearly, but I think you'll be able to get the idea. This is simply water. It has a little bit of blue food coloring in it to make it a little more visible to you, but this is simply water. And this, as you might guess, is milk. Now, milk and water have similar characteristics based on the same thing. And when you put them together, they mix quite well. Might not look appetizing in a sense, but you see how they mix. You can no longer separate the contents of the one from the other. 
And I would like to say that that is how God created man to be, so that God's Spirit could penetrate us and just our identity and his identity would become one. You could not separate the two. However, when man sinned, we lost that likeness with God. And we became two different substances. Now, in this glass, you have water and you have oil. You notice how they're, they are not alike each other and they do not mix. You have the water on the bottom. You have the oil on the top. And when man became a sinful creature, no longer could the spirit of God blend with his spirit. And in the Old Testament, this is how God's spirit worked with man. God's spirit was upon man, like the oil is upon the water, but not within man. Something had to happen. Now, I wish this would be red, but it's blue, because that's how it was when I obtained it. I would like to use this to represent the blood of Christ. When the blood of Christ comes into our life, the redemption and the work of Christ, it changes some characteristics of our life. And as that's applied, better be a little safer here. Now, the Spirit no longer simply rests upon, but the Spirit can penetrate and live within our lives. So I'd like to look at that as the difference between Christ or the Spirit in the Old Testament and the Spirit in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could not dwell within sinful man, Instead, he appeared upon sinful man. I'm going to give some examples of this. In Numbers chapter 11, God was speaking to Moses. And he said, I want you to call out 70 people. God wanted Moses to, to distribute some of the work and the burden that rested upon him. And God's message to him was, choose 70 elders, bring them out, it says, I will come and I will take of the spirit which is upon thee and I will put it upon them. Notice he didn't say within, he said upon. And the Lord came down in a cloud and took the spirit that was upon Moses and gave it to the 70 elders. And it came to pass that the spirit rested upon them and they prophesied and did not cease. You see, God's spirit appeared for a specific need, for a specific occasion, to do a specific job, it was upon them. Another example, uh, in the past week or so, our family has been looking at the life of Samson. And as I was reading that account, I noticed numerous times where that same expression is used. Uh, I'll give some of those examples. When he met the lion as he was uh, along the road, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson, and he rent the lion as he would have rent a kid, and he had nothing in his hand. 
Uh, later on, when, Ab when uh, Samson was upset with the um, men for discovering his riddle, it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and, sh and slew 30 men. See, the power of the Lord came upon him. Was it within him? It was upon him. And later on, again, the spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he rent the cords with which he was wrapped. Another example, Elijah and Elisha. Elisha asked for a double portion of Elisha's spirit. And after Elijah was gone, when the sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And another example, in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, I made mention of this verse before. This is referring to Mary. Now, this is in the New Testament, but remember, the redemption of man had not yet taken place. The work of Christ was not done. So, in essence, we were still living in the Old Testament period. Mary said to the angel, how shall this be? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. So in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit appeared upon God's people to empower them for a specific task. Task. We're looking at the presence of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Let's move on to the New Testament. What is the difference? In the New, in the New Testament, he now abides within rather than upon. Now this was promised already in the Old Testament. In the book of Ezekiel, God telling his people, a new heart will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. God's promise in the Old Testament was that the day is coming when the spirit will be within you. And I will take away the stony heart and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. This was promised in the Old Testament. It was also promised by Jesus. Jesus said, he that believeth on me, as the scripture saith, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. You see, it was going to be within, flowing outward. And again, in John 14, verse 16, Jesus promised another comforter that he may abide with you forever. In the New Testament, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, promised in the Old Testament, promised by Jesus, it was also made possible by the work of Jesus. And that's what we illustrated here with this oil and water. It was a completed work of Christ that made this indwelling a possibility. The redeeming work of Christ took care of the sin problem in our lives. Colossians chapter 3, several verses from there, 1 and 2, and then several verses later on. If ye then be risen with Christ, if the work of Christ is complete in your life, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, seeing that ye have put off the old man and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Remember how I said in the Old Testament we were created in the likeness of God? That likeness was lost. Now here it says we are renewed in that image. After the image of him that created him. So what was lost 
through Christ is restored, that likeness to God is restored so that we are able to mix with him, so that he's able to penetrate our lives. I find that amazing. Because of the work of Christ and what he did, God's spirit is able to come down and live within us, in your life and in my life. God's spirit dwells within his people. And then we see numerous verses how that uh, this is illustrated in the life of the believer. He dwelleth in you and shall be in you. Acts chapter 2, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Not simply upon them, but they were filled. It's my desire and I guess my burden this morning that we do not take the presence of the Holy Spirit for granted. For thousands of years, men lived in a state in which that infiltration by God's Spirit was hindered because the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man could not mix. But when Jesus came, his blood changes our lives and brings them into that condition where the Spirit of God can penetrate our lives. It's no wonder that the apostles turned the world upside down. They had a power that for thousands of years was hindered. No wonder the Jews had no idea what to do with this new power that they were facing. No wonder the gospel message could not be stopped. And you and I can be a part of that today. Are we awestruck with that, with that idea, the Spirit of God living within us to do His will? Let's move on to the third aspect of the message, the purpose of the Holy Spirit. So we saw the person of the Holy Spirit. He is God, the presence of the Holy Spirit living within us. Now that he's within us, what is his purpose? What does he want to do now that he is inside us? I said that it is through the work of Jesus Christ restoring our likeness to the likeness of God through that work that we can experience the presence of the Spirit within us. You see, before Christ came, we were uninhabitable beings. Christ made us habitable. Some of you know what it's like to look for a house in which to live. Not all of you have experienced that. Some of you have. And you've probably discovered, as you were searching for a house that met your expectations, if all the conditions were right, the price wasn't. And if the price was right, the conditions were not right. Well, some of us may choose to simply pay the price and build a new house the way we like it. Some of us may choose to simply pay the price and buy a house that meets our expectations. Others choose to buy a fixer-upper. They find a house that is old and run down, and they look at what that house could be, what it could become, and they say, I will make that house mine. In the most extreme cases, 
you may buy a house that is totally uninhabitable and you turn it into a beautiful home. That is what Jesus did when he came to the earth. He looked around and he saw people that were uninhabitable. People in which the spirit of God could not dwell. And he says, I will make them my home. You see, we were created to be the temple of God. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost? We are created to be the temple of God. But sin did its work in our lives. And we became, simply put, uninhabitable. The condition of our lives was such that the Spirit of God could not live within us. Imagine a tumble-down house. Imagine the worst you can imagine. The roof is caving in. The windows are broken out. The floor is rotting. There might even be weeds growing up through the floor inside the window where the rain comes through. The yard is covered with growth, bushes, vines growing up over the house. That is our fallen state, fallen estate. But God looks at us in that state. God looks at our lives and he says, that is a fixer-upper. That is something that is redeemable. God looks at us and he sees a beauty that he wants to restore. Underneath all the grime and filth, underneath all the artificial cover-ups, he sees the original Something that was created in his likeness. And he says, I want to bring out the original. And when he looks at your life, when he looked at your life, when he looked at my life, he said, I could turn that into a place where I could live. He turns ruined lives into habitat for divinity, a place where he could live. Now, houses that are bought as fixer-uppers, houses that are uninhabitable, become residences that reflect the presence of their new owners. Your house reflects your personality. Our house reflects our personality. And if you would buy a fixer-upper, and if I would buy a fixer-upper, and we would work in that house, and we would move into that house, it would not look the same. Because your personality is different than my personality. And this is a hint of what happens when the Spirit takes residence within our lives. We begin to reflect His personality and His character. And through His work, we become habitat for divinity. God's dwelling reflects His personality. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in moving into our lives? I'd like to look at three things. Three things that the Holy Spirit wants to do as he moves into our lives. First of all, the Spirit of God makes us his residence. He makes us his residence. When you are redeemed by the work of Christ, the Spirit of God 
dwells within you. It's not a matter of accepting the work of Christ and years later hoping that sometime the Holy Spirit might move into your life as well. We become God's residence when we are redeemed by the work of Christ. The work of Christ makes our life more like the character of God so that the character of God can live within us. And at that point, his spirit is present in our lives. Now, there's always a need for greater dependence on the spirit. There's always a need for greater revealing of the spirit through us. But his presence is there. The spirit of God makes us his residence. Secondly, the spirit of God continues his renovation. God does not stop working when he moves in. We are a work in progress. This house, this dwelling into which God has moved, he continues to work on this house to make it more and more what he wants it to be. And the house continues to reflect more and more of his personality as it becomes his home. And as the awareness of God's presence within us deepens, the demonstration of God's power to others will increase. We are continually a work in progress. God's spirit moves in. He makes us his residence, but then he continues the renovation process. Now, when you or I renovate, we might tend to deal with the issues. We plaster over the cracks in the wall, hoping that they will not reappear. But God goes beyond the surface as he is working in this renovation process. He wants to go to the root. He doesn't want to simply repair the cracks in the wall. He wants to repair the foundation that shifted and caused those cracks in the wall. Let us allow him to do that work. Let us allow him to dig deeply in that renovation process. And sometimes he may need to remove some things in our life to get to the root of the problem, to get to the area where he can fix it up. You see, too often, we are happy to settle for a cover-up job. Just cover up the surface and make it look nice. A bit of spackling here, fresh coat of paint, but God wants to get to the root of the problem. Let's not keep our expectations too low. What does the Spirit of God want to do in our life? What is his purpose? He wants to make us his residence. He wants to continue his renovation. And thirdly, the Spirit of God seeks a relationship. You see, this is what it's all about. This is what was lost back there in the garden. When that likeness was lost, that relationship with God was lost, and that relationship is really what God wants. Now, some people buy houses to fix them up and resell them. We hear about people who are flipping houses. They buy it, fix it up, resell it. Buy another and fix it up, resell it. We say that's flipping houses. God does not flip houses. God does not fix up your life simply to give it away to someone else. God seeks a relationship. He wants to live within you. When God gets a hold of your life, he moves inside and he continues there. He is renovating you to live within you. He is seeking that relationship. 
allow God to continue his renovation process and allow him to develop that relationship that was lost. And as we look at this subject some more in the future, we'd like to look some more about the ways in which the Holy Spirit wants to work in our lives and ways we can respond to that. But I'd like to close the message this morning with two verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Talking about what the Spirit of God does in our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We are no longer bound by that sin which separates us from God, but there is liberty to be reunited with God. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, the Spirit of God wants to restore our image back to the likeness of God so that he can dwell within us and maintain not only an earthly relationship, but an eternal relationship with him from glory to glory. We'd like to kneel for prayer, and I invite those who care to to join us as we pray. Father, this morning we thank you for your spirit. Lord, we confess that there's a lot about your spirit that perhaps we do not know as we ought to know, but our prayer is that you could become real to us through your spirit, that we would allow your spirit's presence to live within us, that we would allow your spirit's presence to continue to renovate our lives, to just simply tear out the things that need to be removed and to build up and restore the beauty you created us. Thank you, Lord, for your desire for a relationship with us. And we just want to open our lives to that relationship and allow you to live within us, to communicate with us, and to lead us by your spirit from day to day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.